2: Get iXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com audio. Visit iXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and solutions for building happier habits into your daily life. This week is a very special episode, and we are going to be talking about relationship advice that we gathered from listeners. We'll also be talking to Lori Gottlieb, the author of the Blockbuster bestseller, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, about her advice for relationships. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, my relationship with you is one of the happiest in my life.
0: Aw, that's (laughs) me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And yeah, Gretchen, I have to say, all the relationship advice you've given me has made me happier.
1: So, Uh, uh. thank you. Um, well, before we jump into all this excellent advice that we gathered from listeners, there's an update. Some listeners wrote in to let me know, and I have to say that once people pointed it out, it seemed quite obvious that Second Date Update, which is a podcast that I gave a gold star to, is fake. That it is fake, that those are scripted, that those are actors pretending to be people calling in. And it's like so many of these things, once somebody said it's fake, I was like, of course it is. Because how would they get permission to put people's voices on the air? Why is it that they're so consistent? I'd actually look to see information about how they actually did the production of the show. Because I was like, this must be so hard to pull off. How could they possibly do it? (laughs) Well, they they pulled it off because the whole thing is just like a giant skit. So I feel very credulous, but anyway, yes. uh, Well, it's still
0: entertaining, but it's not as entertaining when it's not real people.
1: Yeah, because I thought it was sort of an insight into human nature, and now it's just sort of like, you know, kind of a funny funny little skit. Anyway, on to relationships. (laughs) (laughs) And this was so fun. People had such great suggestions for terrific relationship advice. Yeah.
0: And Gretchen, it's funny because we said, give us, you know, advice about any kind of relationship. Most of the advice we got was about romantic relationships, but the same principles apply to just about every relationship we realized.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's the proximity to Valentine's Day that got people focused on romantic relationships, but yeah, it, it, it's all very widely applicable. And by the way, um, as we're going through, I'm going to do an entire post of the advice and I'll post it on my website. In addition to the the usual show notes. And I will link to that post in the show notes. So if you hear a lot of good ideas um, or you're listening in a place where you can't take notes, don't worry. It'll be very easy to look up everything later.
0: Yeah. And Gretchen, um, there were some big themes that emerged from the advice people sent in. So we thought, let's go over those themes first.
1: Yeah. These were ideas that many, many, many people raised. So one was, don't take your sweetheart for granted. Really say out loud how much you appreciate all that this person does. And along the same lines, show consideration and courtesy for this person. Just sort of ordinary courtesy yes. goes a long way.
0: It's like you want to treat the person you're in a relationship with as well as you treat a stranger. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which, by the way, research shows that people don't. That they are much yes. nicer to strangers and friends than they are to their romantic partners. Um, Another one, this is important for me don't keep score. I am a real scorekeeper. Um, I
0: think that's a hard one for a lot of people.
1: Here's an interesting one. Many people said that we should let the sun go down on our anger. This is very true for me. I find that if I go to bed angry, a lot of times I wake up in the morning and I, after a good night's sleep, I have so much more perspective and I'm just not angry anymore. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people said, don't try to fight it out Um, at midnight. Wait until the next morning and things might seem different.
0: Yes, I've never understood that. Like, never go to bed angry, like fight until you make up. It's like, well, that, that just <laughs> doesn't
1: work. It doesn't end well.
0: <laughs> this is a good one. Don't criticize your sweetheart to other people.
1: Yes, um, many people emphasize it's important to have a feeling of Friendship as well as romantic attraction. You've got to enjoy just sort of hanging out with the person and talking to them.
0: And then communicate, which interestingly means both speak up and listen. I think it's easier to talk than to listen sometimes.
1: Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to talk, too, and to say, like, what you want and what's on your mind. So, yeah, that's important. And then also to assume the best intentions, really assume the best, because that's hard sometimes in a relationship. Yeah. Now, different advice will resonate with different people. So we are going to go through a lot of different ideas, but we're going to kick it off with the best advice we've ever received. So, Elizabeth, what's the best relationship advice you've ever received?
0: The best advice I got was from a friend, uh, my friend Ellie's stepfather. This was in (laughs) college. College. One summer we were visiting her mom and stepfather in Maine, I think it was, um, or New Hampshire. I don't even remember. I just know we were on like a country road and we were driving with her stepfather and I have no idea what we were, we were talking about, but he said... Marriage is all about what you don't say. (laughs) And at the time, I was like, what? Because I, being, you know, like 19, thought, no, a good relationship is all about being able to say every single thing that's on your mind, total honesty, don't hold back. Now, I years later realize, ah, that was amazing advice because it's really true that so often what you don't say is more important than what you do
1: say. I remember a while back you said how you no longer ask Adam how much a plant costs. You're just Mm, like, I just trust in him that he's not going to go crazy and it just brings down the mood if I'm constantly like raising this. And so it's partly just not saying Wow, how much did that rhododendron cost yes, or whatever? Yes.
0: Even though a lot of times I'm literally just curious, it's not a statement on he takes it as
1: criticism. I'm
0: judging it. Yep. But I'm really not. I'm just curious, but I've realized well if he's going to take it that way, let me just not ask.
1: Right. It's what you don't say. You took your yep, own advice. What
0: you don't say, I'm trying. Yep. I'm trying. And by the way, Gretchen, you know I have like such a huge relationship with Sarah, my writing partner, and I think we have gotten much better at not saying things mm. to each other, especially if one of us is just in a bad mood for whatever reason. I think the other now is really good at just letting that person be in a bad mood, uh-huh, and like letting it ride and not trying to comment on it
1: or take it personally or let yes. it become a distraction. Or be like, What's
0: wrong? or it's just like let it ride, yeah. Okay, but what about you? What's the best advice you've gotten?
1: Well, it's interesting because this – one, it's – one half came from our mother, one half came from our father. And it's unusual because they rarely make this kind of comment. And I think that's why I remember this so clearly, because it it was really quite uncharacteristic of each of them to say this. And they made these comments very close in time to each other, which made it have more of an impression on me. I wonder if they'd had a conversation themselves Mm -hmm. that this was kind of in reaction to, even though I didn't know that part of it. But mom said, In a relationship, it's important that a person be kind because eventually Mm. if he's not kind to other people, he won't be kind to you. Mm. And again, it's like not the kind of thing she usually says. And then dad said, it's important in a relationship that the other person can have fun because you're not going to have a happy life with somebody who's not able to have fun. And I think that's great advice. You have to have kindness and you have to have fun. That is really good advice. Yes, So I try to both be kind and fun. I do fine, but I can do better with both. (laughs) I could do better with
0: both as well. Um, As always, though, mom and dad are like, they have the wisdom. They
1: have the wisdom. So now let's hear from listeners. we got so many. Now, many of these, we have the names, but sometimes when they came off Instagram, I don't have the person's name. So if we don't say the name, it's because um, I couldn't really figure out what your name was, even though your advice was great. First one comes from someone named Jamie. Who said, a patient once told me that the key to marriage is never to be mad or quit on the same day as your partner? Good advice. (laughs) Good advice. Kate says, I heard
0: this recently and it stuck with me. Don't confuse roommate problems with relationship problems. Living with other people is hard. I leave tea bags in the sink much to my husband's annoyance. He wears shoes in the house. It's easy to let these little irritations become bigger problems, but we have a great relationship and he's amazing, supportive, kind, loving, reliable, responsible, fun, a great dad, etc.
1: Yeah. So, he's It's not a relationship problem. It's a roommate problem. Yes. Uh, Michelle said, in college, I took a class called Sociology of Marriage and Family. The professor taught us all the stats on marriage and relationships that you might expect. But of all that I learned from that semester about 20 years ago, one statement has stuck with me. Time will never hurt a good relationship. I took that to mean the longer you're together, the stronger you should and could be. True.
0: I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Lindsay says, during my first year of marriage, a mentor at work gave me advice that works in many types of relationships. Quality control owns the task, (laughs) meaning you're not allowed to critique how someone else gets a job done, at least to a certain degree. Whether it's an email to a client or your partner loading the dishwasher or combing your child's hair, if you can't handle how they're doing it, then you either need to learn to let go or do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. You've made this point many times. Yes, I'm
1: a big believer in that. And related, this came from Instagram. Someone wrote, if it matters to me, then it's my responsibility. I can't expect him to take care of things that are important to me and not important to him. I have to remind, he gets frustrated and I wind up doing it anyway. That's what I've learned. It's like, yeah. you know, if you, if you care a lot, deal with it. Do it yourself. Yeah. Uh,
0: Someone else um, says, the power of physical love gestures. Sometimes you don't have to argue who is right or wrong. I think that's one big thing that is so different from friendship with one's friends. You can simply show your love with physical gestures and some, many times, the hard feelings will go
1: away. Yeah, I read research that said, like, if you're having an argument, try to hold hands or, like, hug Mm. before, because by having that physical connection, it often helps people stay calmer and get less defensive. And so, you know, just that kind of loving gesture can really go a long way.
0: Of course, the problem is getting the other person to hold your hand or have that hug when they're feeling mad. Yeah, It takes two people deciding (laughs) that um, when they're not mad.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. Gail said, When I got engaged, my dad told me that there would be days, weeks, months, or possibly even years when I wouldn't feel like being married to my future husband anymore but I should stick it out and it'll get better and I'd be so grateful that I didn't act on those feelings. I have found it to be true and the best advice I ever got.
0: Mm, That's profound.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, Someone else says, the greatest relationship advice I've ever heard is actually from the TV show Parks and Rec, one of your favorites. I love Parks and Rec. One of the characters, Anne, Rashida Jones, is having a bad day and her always positive boyfriend, Chris, Rob Lowe, tries to solve all of her problems, which only seems to frustrate Anne more. Eventually, Chris gets the advice he needs from two other characters, which is simply to say, darn, that stinks. The point is that sometimes you just need to let the person know, hey, that really stinks, and I'm sorry that's happening to you. Don't try to fix it in that moment. It's amazing. Most of the time, that's all someone needs to hear.
1: Yeah, and this is great advice, too, because it sort of takes the pressure off you because you don't, yeah. you know, you're just like, I'm just responding.
0: Of course, this is a classically male-female thing, Gretchen, just to overgeneralize. It. Many times people say men want to fix problems and women just want them to listen.
1: Well, I got to say, I want to fix problems constantly. This is a huge thing for me. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's the happiness bullying yes, me. I just rush It in. is. You do want to <laughs> fix problems. Oh,
0: my gosh. <laughs> and you don't, you, you, uh, you'll offer 10 different solutions. You don't stop with one or two. No,
1: and I'll, I'll email you the next day, too. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I need to. Advice, which is from Michelle, by the way. Thank you, Michelle.
0: Thanks, Michelle.
1: Um, and then from Instagram, this is a this is short but very powerful. Marry someone you admire and who admires you.
0: Mm, that's good. Yeah. Julie says, "I always need to say yes to his parents about all things, and he needs to be the one to say no." I can say sure, even when I mean no way, and then I can tell him the situation and he can tell his own parents no or amend the situation. Sons and daughters can handle their parents way better than a spouse can, especially a new spouse or fiancé. Well, that's very practical advice to keep smooth relations, and I I think that's wise. I think
1: it's very wise. Kaylee says, not so much advice, but information. I still credit better than before for setting our marriage up for success. I'm an upholder, and my husband is a questioner, just like you guys. Yes, that's Jamie and I are that combo. I feel that understanding that my husband's questions aren't criticisms has completely changed how I view our relationship and saved us from a lifetime of misunderstanding. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice, Kaylee. Thank you. That's so nice. Nice
0: job, Gretchen. Linda says, you don't have to apologize for something you didn't say.
1: <laughs> yes, good point. Megan says, the best advice I've ever gotten is to not expect your partner to read your mind. We just talked about this recently. Sometimes it's not romantic to have to spell it exactly what you want or expect for an anniversary or a birthday or whatever, but it's a lot more romantic than being disappointed and building resentment. True. Mm,
0: yes. So much good advice, and there is more to come. Coming up, we'll talk about relationships with Lori Gottlieb, a therapist and author of the bestseller, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. But first, this break.
1: I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business.
0: LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier.
1: Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash happier. That's storyworth.com slash happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Now, listeners had such great suggestions about relationship advice, but we also thought maybe we should talk to an expert. Yeah, Gretch, we're talking to Lori Gottlieb. Lori is a
0: psychotherapist and the author of several New York Times bestselling books, including her latest blockbuster, which I absolutely love. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed, which, by the way, is being adapted into a TV series. I can't wait to watch it. That. Yes.
1: And in addition to her clinical practice, Lori writes the Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column, and she contributes regularly to the New York Times and many other publications. And she gave a TED Talk in 2019. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. In this most recent book, which I also love, we both raced through it, in Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, she writes about what she sees with her patients in therapy, and she also writes about what she learned from being in therapy herself. Because Lori started seeing a therapist when the man she thought she would marry, unexpectedly broke up with her. So, Lori, thank you so much for coming into the studio here in New York with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Lori. Hi, Liz. (laughs) Poor Elizabeth off in L.A. I know.
0: Lori, we're talking about relationships today. And you talk, obviously, to a lot of people. What are some of the most common mistakes we make with the people in our
1: lives? (laughs) You see the same thing over and over again, probably, right?
3: Right, right. You know, I think that one of the mistakes in relationships that people make is they They think that the problem is the other person. (laughs) And we all do that. I'm guilty of that, too. (laughs) You know, I think that what they, they come into couples therapy and they'll say, you know, here's the problem. And basically, you know, he's doing this or she's doing this. And they don't look at what their own role in the situation is.
1: Well, in your book, you talk about how often people go into therapy thinking that they're going to kind of recruit someone to their side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now they can gang up. Right. Um, And that you experienced that yourself when you went into therapy that you were like, I need to convince you of how right I am and how wrong someone else was.
3: Well, that's right. In fact, I thought I had an ironclad case. So <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced that, that in fact, the whole reason I went to go see this therapist was I thought he's absolutely going to agree with me yeah. that the boyfriend who broke up with me was completely wrong. Right. And I was shocked when he didn't do that. But I think a lot of people do that. They come in and they want the validation of an outside person to say, see, you're right and the other person is wrong and the other person needs to change.
1: So how do we overcome that? That kind of tendency to see things from our own, argue our own case and not see that someone else has a case.
3: Well, I think we have to remember that our stories are skewed. So we're we're unreliable narrators in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, And we think that we're telling the objective truth. And we are telling the truth, but the truth as we see it. Yes. So, you know, when we tell the story, there are certain things we're leaving in, there are certain things we're leaving out, Where um, you know, we're making our role sound maybe a little more cleaned up than it is. Yeah. Or maybe we're just not aware of how we're contributing to the situation.
1: Right. Or something's really important to us and it just doesn't matter to someone else. And so we're, we think, how could you ignore this or be so inconsiderate about this? But to somebody else, it's like, this is just not a big deal. I don't. I don't value it. So I don't see this as something that is important to respect.
3: Right. And people take it so personally when someone doesn't have the same ideas about something that they do. They feel like, well, you don't care about me or you don't love me. Mm. And it's not that. It's that you're two different people with – two different ideas about the world and yourselves and each other.
0: And is this is true for just any relationship? It's not just like your romantic partner, right? This is probably true of mothers and daughters and friends and business partners.
3: Oh, yeah. And especially, I would say, you know, in families. You see this all the time where people don't understand how the other person can think, feel, do or not do
1: certain things.
3: But you also see it with friends and you also see it in, you know, in the
1: workplace. So are there some common Concrete things that we can do or like a mantra we can invoke or an exercise we can do in our head to try to get us out of that kind of egocentric perspective? I think a great exercise is to imagine that you're telling
3: the story from the other person's point of view. Uh, Ah. <laughs> and what you want to do is you don't want to keep having your own story um, sneak into the other person's point of view. You want to really imagine a clean version of their story. If this is what they were going to say is happening from their perspective, you don't have to agree with it. But what what do you think they think is going on? And it will give you a lot more compassion for mm. what they're going through because all of a sudden you say, oh, that person also feels – unseen,
1: unheard, slighted, whatever it might be. Well, this reminds me because I was a lawyer and I saw a million briefs. And what was what was so striking is that you would read a brief and you'd be like, this is 100% convincing. Mm-hmm. The law, the facts, <laughs> everything is on the side. I'm absolutely convinced this is a slam dunk. And then you'd read the other brief and you'd be like, oh my gosh, they would be using the same basic facts, the same law. And it would look completely different and 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 leading you to the exact opposite conclusion and you could see how skillful skillful people can make great arguments with the same material by what they highlight and what they how they present right that's why when
3: people come to couples therapy i tell people i'm not here to arbitrate <laughs> mm, right <laughs> because um you're both right right i mean the fact is that it's yes. like they each came in with this brief and very convincing ones and they're both right And yet, it doesn't matter because they're both not seeing the other person's point of view. Well, this seems like I
0: already feel like my marriage is going to be better. (laughs) I'm already in my head arguing my husband's side of punctuality because that's what we fight about. Yeah, they fight a lot. That's good for me.
1: That's good. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the things that comes up all the time, that seems to be the root of so many issues is listening. How do we listen better? Now, obviously, as a therapist, you're trained to listen, and it's at the heart of the job. But how can we as lay people, listen better? The most
3: important element for listening is empathy. So it's not just ah. hearing the content of what they're saying. So mm-hmm. there's that, that sort of, um, you know, cliche of, Somebody saying, "Here's what I feel," and the person repeating back, "I hear you yes, say," yes, you know, yes. kind of robotically. Yeah, yes. That that person's not going to feel like they were taken in or heard. Yeah. Um, so you want to you want to we call it feeling felt. So mm. when you're listening to someone, you want to make the other person feel felt, and that means that when you're listening, it's not just what they're saying, but it's how do you feel about them. As they're saying it, can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you imagine what they're feeling as they're telling you this? That's a really important ingredient in
1: listening. So saying something like, Wow, it seems like you like you I'm, you're feeling really frustrated or like that. Well, that feels really robotic, right? So I mean, mm. you
3: can say that, but it, it feels like yeah, you're just repeating what I said. It's it's something emotional that's happening inside you when you're listening. It's mm-hmm. not what you're doing to for in front of the other person. It's mm-hmm. more about an internal process ah. for you as ah. you listen. Right, that you. Instead of thinking like, well, that's not right, or no, that detail wasn't exactly right. right." That is often what's going through our heads when someone is telling us something, especially when we're involved in it. Right, when there's some
1: kind of conflict.
3: Yeah. And so it's more about, I'm going to imagine what it's like right now for this person to tell Ah. me that and what their experience Ah. is. And then you're going to hear them better. Mm.
1: Right. That's a good technique. Right, like this person is telling me something that is very difficult for them to say. So they're probably feeling very exposed.
3: Right. This is, they feel very, you know, it's very fragile for them. Yes. Right. They're feeling, they're feeling very vulnerable. Right. Right. That's, that's good advice.
0: And Lori, um, obviously we talk on this show about how relationships are the key to a happy life. And of course, many people go into therapy trying to address the issues um, they have in an important relationship. But the question we have is the relationship with a therapist itself is so important. What advice would you give as a person who's been in therapy and as someone who's a therapist about what we should look for in our relationship with our therapists? Are there red flags or good signs? Like, cause you know, there it's so hard to know who's right for you.
3: That's right. And I think people don't realize that. They think I'm gonna go to a therapist and I'm gonna get in that room and then I'm in therapy. And that's just not true. The first session is almost like um like dating. Uh-huh. It's it's about seeing how that fit works. And, in fact, the most important factor in the success of your therapy, more than the therapist's training, the modality they're using, the number of years they've been doing this, which are all important, but the most inf- important factor is your relationship with that therapist. Right. So it's so important. So when you go in for a first session... You want to see, how do I feel with this person? Did I feel understood? Do I feel like this person gets me as much as someone can get you in an initial meeting? And if so, I would go back. But again, it doesn't mean you're in therapy with that person. It's going to take a few sessions, maybe even a couple of months, before you really know, yeah, this is this is
1: where I want to do the work. As a therapist, do you ever say to somebody, I don't think that we're going to be a good fit? Absolutely. You do? Yes. So you will say, like, oh, wow." Um, and what I'm makes sure you have that? a delicate way of <laughs> yeah, saying that. Yeah, I was going to that. say
3: that's not exactly the tone or the words <laughs> yeah. that I use. <laughs> yeah. As if. But, <laughs> but no. Yeah. But that is the message. Right. You know, right. it's like, no, we're breaking up. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't say that. Right. Um, but I, do, but I do tell people, you know, whether or not I think I can help them. Right. And if I feel like I'm not the best person right. to help that person, I will tell them because I don't want to waste their time. Right. And sometimes it's because what they're coming in with is not something that I feel like I'm the best person to help them with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because I can tell in that first session that maybe they're not ready for the kind of work that I have people do. Ah. Um, And if they're not wanting that, even though they might think they do, um, and I can tell pretty early on, then then I might suggest that maybe this isn't going to be a good working
1: situation for them. That's interesting. Um, Now, one of the things that was really compelling in your book is you wrote wrote about how in your own therapy, yourself as a, you know, um, in the hot seat... You hid the fact that you were like haunted by the fact that you had this book due and you weren't working on it and that you had this un- undiagnosable chronic illness that um, you were trying to figure out what was going on and you hid that. Yes. So and this is not uncommon. We often will hide crucial information from the people who are very close to us and the people who, with whom we feel like we can turn to for help and advice and are clearly on our side. Why do you think we do that?
3: I think the things that we hide are the things that we feel the most shame around. Uh. And so these were things that, you know, I couldn't tell anybody about because I just was bathed in shame around them. And I, I see that with my own patients. And you see that in the book with several of the patients I write about where they, they're they not telling me things, they're yes. hiding things from me. Yes. Um, and when they come out, you see sort of why they were hiding it. And, I, and also I think there's you know, a, a gender difference that I noticed too, which Ooh. is that men will come in so many times and they'll say, you know, I've never told anybody this before when they're finally going to tell you the thing that yeah. they haven't been telling you. And, you know, and then the thing that they tell me often feels so, it doesn't feel that vulnerable to me. Mm. Um, and and I think, wow, I feel so much compassion for them because I feel like, wow, there's not a person in the world you could tell this thing to that doesn't feel that deep to right. me, um, and then when they get into it, it gets very deep. Women will come in and they'll say, "You know, I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, and my best friend." Right, oh. right, right. Right, right, so, right, right. So they've had yeah. maybe one to three people, right, that they've been able to tell their secret to,
1: even though it took them a while to tell it to me. Right. Well, it's interesting because in, in the case of your secrets, it wasn't like no one in the world knew because you were wor- you were going from doctor to doctor. You had a whole kind of uh group of people who were like theoretically involved in the book so it was like a it was like a Well secret- no one knew about the book
3: that was. I thought it was under contract. It was, and so no one knew that I wasn't writing it.
1: Oh, that's oh, right. Yes, yes. No, no. no the one The book knew. wasn't a secret. And, and it was the it was the lack of progress that was the right. secret. That's right. Okay, I remember that now. Okay, right. So that's what the secret was. Right. right yeah, like right. no one knew, and everyone would always say, "How's the book? It's
3: going, going fine." And you oh. know, and so and and okay, it was, that yes, yeah. So literally nobody knew.
0: And did it help when you finally revealed these secrets?
3: Oh, it was such a relief. Yes. You know, and I think that's what people experience is that they realize that holding that secret is such a burden. Yeah. It's it's a lot more of a burden than whatever they imagine is going to happen when they reveal the secret. Right. And and couples Mm. have that, you know, as we're talking about relationships. They have so many secrets that they're afraid to bring into the relationship. And they're not they're not secrets that you know, there are secrets like I'm cheating or things like that. They're more secrets about themselves, but mm-hmm. they're afraid to be seen. And I, I see that too with people in therapy. And, and you see that with me and my own therapist in the book, where I think that so many of us are afraid to show the truth of who we are because we feel like people will feel differently about us.
1: Ah. Mm. And what's
3: ironic about that? Is that once you show the truth of who you are, that draws people toward you. Uh-huh People then all of a sudden say, "Oh, I want to I want to come closer to you." Mm-hmm. So it has the opposite effect that people fear it might have. Do you have advice about how to start a conversation like that?
0: Like if you want to talk to a spouse and say, "Here's something I want to tell you, but it's like you don't want to be judged. Or, you know, you want them to listen you know, that can be difficult to get that conversation going.
3: Right. Yeah, I would say, first of all, don't do it in the middle of something else. Don't do it like, hey, we're rushing off to this place, by the way, here's this thing. <laughs> yeah. So many people will do that because they, they feel like, well, you know, we're in the car and we only have 20 minutes. Yes. It's perfect. Right. No, that's yeah. horrible. Um, you you want to do it at a time when you're both kind of relaxed and you don't have distractions and you're, you know, at home, and, you know, something where you both feel relaxed and comfortable and there's not a big time crunch. And you can just preface the conversation by saying, you know, hey, there's this thing that I feel really worried about telling you, and it's something about me, and I'm wondering if we can talk about it. And and that sets the stage for they know that this is gonna be delicate for you. Right. And so already they're going to be a little more predisposed to hearing you in a different way instead of just like, hey, let me tell you that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um so I think I think that people don't realize that often you need to set the stage with the person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Signal so that, to them. Signal to them that, hey, this is what is about to happen. So nobody is caught off guard. People make the most um, kind of hurtful mistakes, not intentionally. Oh, when they're caught off guard and they don't know how to react to something. Yes,
1: that is so true. Mm. Yes, you're you're half distracted. You you didn't expect what just came.
3: Right, and you you're don't not, choose you're not your words
1: wisely. Yes,
3: right, and so if you can just have that signal first, you can switch gears. And be ready, at least more ready, for whatever Mm -hmm. the person is going to say. And usually the thing that the person reveals, the other person doesn't find it to be such a big deal. They're like, really? You were afraid to tell me that? Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they're they're usually very compassionate.
1: Right, right. Well, we love to ask people who come on the show if they have a try-this-at-home tip, just something concrete and manageable that people can do in their own lives to make themselves happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Do you have a try-this-at-home Suggestion? I have a couple. Could oh, I do? Oh good. Too? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
3: um the first is I think it's really important to get outside. Yes, great one. Even for 5 minutes. Just walk outside, clear your head, look at some trees if you can, look at, you know, some interesting architecture if you don't have trees wow. around, breathe in the air. Feel, you know, feel the air on your skin. If there's sun out, you know, look up at the sun. I just think it's such a good way to kind of clear your mind in between Mm -hmm. things. And we need it. We can't just keep doing task after task after task without clearing our minds.
1: That's a great one. So Mm -hmm. that's
3: the first one. And the second one I would say is whenever you're upset about something, consider what you can do to change the situation. Mm. So, so often we say, oh, this thing is happening or that thing is happening and um, I have no control over the situation. And we have so much agency and we don't realize it. Mm -hmm. And so I think instead Mm -hmm. of saying, oh, this thing happened and like, you know, dwelling on the thing that didn't work out, think about what you can do right now in that moment, just one small, tiny step to make your situation better. And it can be anything from, I'm going to stop dwelling on it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a simple
3: thing you can do mm-hmm. right then and there. <laughs> right. It can be, I'm going to email this other person, even though I got rejected from this, uh-huh. I'm going to email this other person and see if this other opportunity might be available. Or I'm going to research this thing that might help me try uh-huh. something else. Spend five minutes just doing something else that might be productive. Right. And that will just set you on a different path.
1: Excellent. Lori, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you. It's so fun to be here.
0: Thank you. Next, we'll hear more great advice from listeners, but first, a break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? All right, Gretchen, um, we've got more advice from our listeners. What I love is that some of these are extremely concrete. Yes,
1: they're very, very practical. Elizabeth said, the advice my husband and I give newly marrying couples is always to have separate bathrooms if you can swing it. Well, that Mm. that is a luxury, but I think that is a luxury many people would like. Yes.
0: I do know people where one person uses like the bathroom in the master bedroom and then someone else uses a guest bathroom. Yeah,
1: that's what my in-laws do. Jamie and I share a bathroom, but yeah, my in-laws do that like one goes goes to a different room. Yep.
0: And then someone on Instagram said, get a king size bed. A little extra personal space goes a long way.
1: Yeah, that doesn't work in New York, but that's a great, (laughs) great We have a
0: king size bed and I love it. Yeah.
1: Caroline says, always fight naked. You'll look pretty stupid. Ooh, that's a new, that's a new angle. I had not heard of that.
0: <laughs> Kelly says, I once saw a comedian couple say to just imagine they are five when your spouse does something you don't like. It makes me pause and think if he is hungry, tired, overworked, etc. It also just lets me laugh at some things that otherwise might annoy me.
1: That's a good one. Like treat yourself like a toddler, yes. treat your treat your sweetheart like a toddler. Haley said, "I actually love something I read in your book, Happier at Home, and have shared with lots of friends. Every couple should have an indoor game and an outdoor game." Well, the, this was advice that I got from a friend of mine's grandmother, and I have to say, Jamie and I have neither. I don't like games. Jesus. And I wish I did, but we don't have an indoor game or an outdoor game.
0: Neither do Adam and I. Okay, we got to work on this. Yeah, that's it's good advice. <laughs> yes, I agree. We just haven't followed it. Yeah. Meg says, be festive and find reasons to celebrate. Create a home that is festive in spirit. That's very you, Greg.
1: Yes, that's right. That's, I love that one. Lynn says, when you walk into the door after work or your partner walks in, take time to check in, say hello, et cetera, and not start off with a to-do list. This is Mm. hard for me. I always just want to start checking things off my list.
0: I think it's so crucial, though. I think if you did nothing but that, your relationship would improve. Yes, yes. Gordon says the most important piece of marriage advice is always have your own secret stash of snacks (laughs) hidden somewhere in the house.
1: (laughs) Here's a piece of advice that a college friend gave to me, so I offer it up. She said, never knit your boyfriend a sweater. Her argument was, if you are knitting your sweetheart a sweater, you're going to knit and knit, and it's all this work, and you're thinking, this person doesn't appreciate it. They don't know how, how hard I'm working. And then you give the sweater, and the person's like, oh, nice sweater. And you're like, you don't appreciate it, you know, and you just have all this resentment. And she's like, you're just setting yourself up for a breakup. So just never mm. knit anybody a sweater. I thought, yeah,
0: it's good advice. Funny. Mary Beth says, I ask my sweetheart to do something. I don't
1: tell him to do it. Yeah, mm. good one. Bren says, I've been happily married for 32 years and the best advice I received and give is you are responsible for your own happiness, not your sweetheart. And it kind of related from Kim is your partner doesn't complete you, they compliment you. Good advice.
0: Very good. That's true. I feel like I've been happier in life since I kind of realized that myself. Side note. Christy says, it's not about what you argue about, it's how you argue.
1: No, that's right. Yeah, in the Happiness Project book, I, I talk about fighting right. Can you how to fight right? Because if you fight right, it's a lot. It's a lot better. Asumi says, the best advice I received when I married my sports loving husband was every game or match is important, <laughs> and I think that's really good advice because it's like things that might seem unimportant to me might be very important to my sweetheart. And you just sort of have to keep that in mind that your priorities are not someone else's priorities.
0: Here's a good practical one. Kimberly says, live below your means financially so you can afford to play.
1: That's good advice.
0: Really good.
1: And then from Instagram... The best thing I learned was from my current partner. She told me early on that I could always ask her anything, but I had to be prepared to hear the answer no. It helped us to develop an interdependent relationship and to be conscious of our own needs as well as one another's.
0: And then finally, Ebony says, I want to share some advice that my dad told me about recently. I got married in 2019 and my dad and I were choosing a song for the father-daughter dance. One of his suggestions was a song, All You Need Is Love, and he explained to me that he has only ever received one One piece of parenting advice, which was just love them. I found this so beautiful, I started to cry." However anyone chooses to raise their children is the right way as long as they remember to love them. Yeah, I mean, he said this at their wedding about parenting, but it's true for romantic relationships, for friendships. It's really a good piece of advice.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes the the simplest pieces of advice can really sum up everything else. Along the same lines, Carol's grandmother told her, be good to each other. And, you know, uh, just love them and be good to each other kind of says it all, too. This was great advice. We loved it. We got more advice we didn't have time for. So, again, I will post in the show notes to a blog post that will be a big roundup of everybody's great <laughs> advice. Um, if there's something you want to add or comment on, let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And the show notes for this will be at happiercast.com 260. So you can go there to get everything related to this episode.
0: We love this advice. We still want to hear more.
1: We need more. (laughs) Send it along. And that's it for this episode of Happier. We hope you heard some great ideas about strengthening your relationships. Happy Valentine's Day.
0: Thanks to all our listeners who gave us such great advice. And thanks also to our wonderful guest, Lori Gottlieb. Her book is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Kraft. Our email address is podcasts at GretchenRubin.com.
1: And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us and rate or review us. We so appreciate it. The resources for this week, my Four Tendencies video course can make a great Valentine's gift and activity to do with your sweetheart. You can learn more about yourself and the other person through video lessons and expert interviews. You can learn more at courses.GretchenRubin.com. And you can follow Elizabeth and me on Instagram. As we often mention, I am sharing stories with my Metropolitan Museum experiment. You can see what I'm doing there. You can see when we check things off our 20 for 20 list. You can find me at Gretchen Rubin, and Elizabeth at Liz Craft.
0: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Craft,
1: and I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Alyssa, you know, I had an idea for something I think would make a very fun, very special episode. What? <laughs> we love getting great advice, but I also love when people get terrible advice. We should ask people, like, what's the worst advice you ever got? Mm. And people can share their stories so when they were given very bad advice.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: We'll do it. From the Onward Project...